be wonderful if you have a Bible. Uh, if you don't, don't worry, but if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to what I think is one of the most, um, I guess, one of the most iconic and well-known passages of Scripture, it's Psalm 23. If you've, if you've grown up in church or you've grown up around the Bible, you probably memorized this Scripture. And, uh, and so we're going to finish, uh, I like to say climax, our series uh, that we've entitled Fear Less um, around this, uh, this passage of Scripture. And uh, it's, it's entitled Fear Less because I'm not um, going to claim that you're ever going to get through this life without fear. That would be a ridiculous thing, wouldn't it? We live in a world which is broken and busted where, you know, we don't know what's happening tomorrow, if we're honest. Yesterday's uh, certainties have become today's insecurities. We, we, just, we just don't know what the future looks like for us, and, and you're going to have some bad stuff happen to you. If you didn't know that, just sorry, you are. Stuff's going to happen that you don't want to happen in your life. So, you, so you're not going to get through this life without a temptation to fear. But you can learn to fear less when you partner with the God who loves you. And so over the past few weeks, we've taken a look at this passage of Scripture and, and began to look at what does it mean to have God shepherd you? What is it? You're going to have someone shepherd you in life. You're going to have someone who's going to be the authority for you, someone who's going to be the guide, someone who's going to lead you in some way or, or something or some philosophy or some idea. What does it look like if the creator of the universe shepherds you through your life? What difference does that make? Now, I have to admit, I'm a really weird mix. I mean, most of you know me, know that already. But I'm, a, I'm a totally weird mix. I have this thing. There's a whole bunch of things. I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. I mean, really, all the big things in life I am not afraid of, but, but there's a whole, I mean, like the stacks of other things I'm scared of. I mean, I'm not afraid of the big things like death, come on, but like the dark freaks me out. And like when, when Nikki is away and the kids are all away, I leave the light on, on the, in the landing as if that's somehow going to make a difference. You know, oh, we're not going to burgle that house because there's a light on, you know, or, 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 or heights, Heights freak me out. Honestly, a few years ago, we went up the Eiffel Tower, and, and, I, and I went up, but something happens to my body. I look, I kind of, <laughs> that's exactly what I do. <laughs> and then something just goes all jelly, and there's like animals of just every kind. We have animals. I'm frightened of them. It just kind of, there's this, there's this stuff in me. But, but what would it look like? What would it look like if we were able to truly say with our lives, I don't need to live in fear. I will not let fear lead me anymore. Fear will not have the final word in my life. I'm, I'm going to feel afraid. Let's be honest, I'm going to feel afraid. But I will not live in fear. And I will not let fear lead me. See, I, see to, to be honest, I have every reason to be fearful. I have four daughters. I mean, there, there's, there's stuff, and, and, and the whole traveling thing freaks me out. My, my youngest is 17, and, uh, and she goes on road trips while driving with her friend. I mean, that just freaks you. That's, that's freaky, isn't it? 
That's, that's enough. And then, and then my 19-year-old, she studies in, in Oklahoma in the States, and, and, and she's got to get on three flights, and that, that, that freaks me out if I allow myself to think about that. And the next one up, she does night shifts, and she walks home and does that. That totally does my head in. And the oldest, she's in London, and she'll ring me up and say, oh, I'm just walking through the underground at 11.30 at night. And that freaks me out. Don't want to know about these things. And, and, and then the other thing that freaks me out is that one day they may all come to me and say they want to get married in the same year in the same year <laughs> which would be great because we could do one wedding wouldn't that be, that be it just totally, totally freaks me out but there is there is a bigger story there is a different perspective that offers me life you know 3,000 years ago around King David wrote this psalm and he had every reason to fear because he was the king and anybody who's ever led anything knows that there's plenty of people who want to pull you down and if you're king there's like millions of them and they want to depose you and, and, and undermine you and he had plenty of reasons to fear he was a shepherd he had to fight bears and, and wolves he he had to fight giants. He had to fight with Saul. Enemies surrounded him. His family didn't like him very much. And he learned something being schooled by God that you can feel fear, but you don't have to live in fear. You can be afraid, very afraid, but you don't need to let fear govern your life because you have a shepherd for your soul. A shepherd in the storm. And that's that. I mean, that's just a phrase, but it's massive, isn't it? You have a shepherd in the storm. I'll tell you why it's massive. It's massive because some of you are going through a storm right now. And it's massive because even if you're not going through a storm right now, you're going to have one at some stage in your life. Or you've had one and you've tested it. But you know you're going to need something in a storm because storm is coming at you. Big one. Sometimes it's the kind of the geopolitical storm. You don't really know how it's all going to end and who's going to be in control and what's going to happen or who's going to blow up, who's, what's going to work out. But often it's just a very, very personal storm. Relational, medical, financial. We, 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 we read, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as if it's great poetry, but actually it's, it's dead reality, isn't it? Because the fact is that we, none of us get out of this thing alive. Do we? It's the ultimate statistic. One out of one of us will die. We, we're not going to we, avoid our own death, let alone death all around us. We all have fears. And the temptation is to live in our fears. But we have a shepherd. And the psalm says we have a shepherd that worries for you. <laughs> Isn't that great? God is a shepherd who fights for you. He knows you and he fights for you. He's in your corner, he's got your back and he fights for you. God is a shepherd who hosts you, who makes space for you, who provides for you, who lays a table in the presence of your enemies and asks you to eat. God is a shepherd who is a savior, who is walking with you, rescuing you, restoring you, leading you in the storm and, and, and through the storm. See, here's the thing. A storm without a shepherd will scar you. 
some, sometimes irreparably scar you. If you don't have a north, if you don't know a future, if you have no hope, it will scar you. But a storm with this shepherd will strengthen you and secure you and school you and save you. It's a game changer. If you've got him in your life, suddenly the other stuff seems inconsequential. Just pause for a moment. I just wonder how many of you know the shepherd and have been through a storm. I mean, this is Britain, so you don't have to do any of that. There you go. That's one Brit. Put their hand up. Brilliant. How many of you just know the shepherd and have been through a storm? You can tell me. You can even look at me. Yeah. How many of you who've experienced that know that a number of things happen when you know the shepherd and you go through a storm? Let me try this. Did it not make you closer to God? I mean, did you not suddenly realize you needed to depend on the shepherd and you couldn't get through this thing without him? Did it not make you more compassionate for people? Because up to that point, you just went, well, you know, man up. It's a storm. I mean, some of you are way more compassionate than I am, but that's what I do. I go, come on, get over yourself. It's not that bad. (laughs) But when you experience that stuff, you suddenly, oh, I realized how that rips your guts out and changes stuff. It makes you more compassionate for people. And, and, and there's something else that it makes you. How many of you know that it makes you stronger? It makes you stronger. The scripture says iron comes into your soul, which is an incredibly poetic way of saying it makes you stronger. There's, there's something about a shepherd and the storm together, that dynamic that, that strengthens you, that brings like a rod of iron into your back and into your heart and into your soul that says, I know that fear will not leave me anymore because I have a shepherd. So let's land this, this series and let, let me talk about the future. I want you to know from this passage of scripture that the shepherd has my future And he has your future. Look at verse 5 if you've got your Bible. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd, the shepherd gives me confidence to walk through this world in the present because I know that he has my future. And that's really important because almost every fear that you have that disables you is about your future. Isn't it? Many of them are total nonsense fears, by the way. They're not going to happen. You're frightened about what might happen when it's not going to happen. And it debilitates you actually walking and living in the present because of something that probably isn't going to happen in the future. But it's real for you. You know, what will become of me? Will he still love me? Will I find anyone who's going to love me? Will I be able to afford it? Will I be fit enough for it? Will I live long enough to see it? Will I get found out because of it? And all those questions and a myriad others coming in at you and makes you fearful of your future. Here is the perspective that changes everything. In the presence of my enemies, he lays a table. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This isn't perhaps very cool, and not many preachers do this, but I want to talk just for a few minutes about heaven, if that's okay. Uh, Because 
And I'll tell you why preachers don't preach about heaven very much, because we're, never, we're not quite sure what it is. If we're honest, and, and nailing it down, we don't know whether it's coming or we're going or all this, all this other stuff. And so if you read theological books, which none of you obviously do, but if you read theological books, they have whole sections on hell and a little thing on heaven because we kind of think we know what hell is about if it exists or whatever it is. And then, and then, and then there's this thing about heaven. But I want to talk just for a few minutes about heaven. You see, unless you and I have a helpful understanding of God's future for us, it's really easy for us to live afraid in the present. Unless we know the shepherd. My, my dad died nine years ago. In fact, almost exactly nine years ago. He died of pancreatic cancer. And uh, he died um, within one week of a diagnosis he was dead. Um, he came up to visit us. And then he wasn't looking very well, so he went to hospital and he died. He had end-stage pancreatic cancer. And um, I, I did this thing. I didn't really know what to do. Because you don't know what to do. And something, everything's an emotion for you at that moment. And so I, I downloaded as many old school hymns as I could download. And I stuck them on repeat because he, he, he loved Jesus and he loved to sing. And he loved to sing all these old school hymns that he would sing, all the revival stuff. That, I don't know, some of you will have no idea what I'm about to say, but moody and sankey stuff. He would just sing this stuff and he would do it while he shaved. And, and he couldn't sing. He sung very loud and he couldn't sing. And the abiding memory I have of my dad is that the last two or three days of his life, I thought he was in pain, but he was actually singing. <laughs> you know, I thought he's groaning, but he was actually singing. Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be signed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend, it is well, it's well with my soul. Now, the theology of that, not 100% sure about, but the heart behind it. There was a guy who, who said to me in the last day of his life, it's cool, I know where I'm going. It's okay. And he died fearlessly. He died Fearlessly. And I think that unless you have that kind of view of a God who loves you, who's for you, who's, who lays a table in the presence of your enemies, who has a place called home, you'll never live confident in the present. I think most people have a very weird and deficient view of heaven, if you have one at all. I guess in my worst moments, I used to think that heaven was like an eternal worship service in the cloud with fat angels singing, 20, singing 24-7 Bethel music, ha hanging around with boring straight people who you'd rather not spend an evening with, let alone eternity. <laughs> Hands up if you've ever had that kind of thought in, in, in your head. Doesn't it kind of make you want to go to the other place? No, that's... <laughs> but actually, do anything kind of... But that's, that's totally not... What the scriptures say about who God is and, and what God has planned for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I love this. No eye has seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The scriptures talk about a new heaven and a new earth. 
And when they're talking about a new heaven and a new earth, that word that's used there for the word new is the word renewed. In other words, we're supposed to imagine something grander than anything we have ever imagined. This world perfected beyond perfection. Another world better than we can get our head around. This heaven, whatever it looks like, is restoration. Revelation, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, which I grant you can get a bit weird at times, but in the book of Revelation in chapter 22 and verse 3, there is this little phrase which you can easily jump across, but actually it's really significant. It says this, in, in heaven, it's, it's a beautiful description of heaven, by the way. If you want to read heaven, check it out. But it says this, and there will no longer be any curse. There'll no longer be any curse. And what it's referring to is back in the day in the garden, when we decided we'd stick God in the rearview mirror and we would drive away and we would do our own thing, everything got broken and everything got cursed. So we came out of line with God, we came out of line with creation, we came out of line with ourselves, and we came out of line with one another. Everything got busted, everything got broken, but heaven is the full and perfect restoration of all those things. No longer are we distant from God. No longer do we have this deficient relationship with God where we're always worried about whether we're doing it for ourselves or doing it for him. Or, and there's always this weirdness in our relationship with God. There is no distance between us and God who made us. No longer are we uncomfortable in our own skin. No longer am I going to be uncomfortable in my own skin. I'm going to be at home with myself. No longer am I going to be uncomfortable with people. No longer am I going to have these broken relationships with people. Even my best relationships are, are slightly dysfunctional because I'm, I'm a messed up guy in a broken world. No longer will we be out of kilter with the creation that God gave us to enjoy as an environment for our life. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. Heaven is the absence of anything that is incompatible with the perfect nature of God. There is no death in heaven. There is no mourning in heaven, no crying in heaven, no pain in heaven, no cancer in heaven, no racism in heaven, no sexism in heaven, no abuse in heaven, no sectarianism in heaven. None of that stuff, no separation in heaven. None of that stuff that breaks our heart and destroys our lives and we don't know how to get our head around it. It's not there anymore. Because God is making all things and here's, 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 the, here's the thing heaven is supposed to be our home isn't that cool I mean heaven is supposed to be our home now, we, we, are, we ache for heaven people in here ache for heaven people everywhere ache for heaven they just don't realize it yet that's what they're aching for. Nothing in this world is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. I mean, you think you need a new job. You think you need some new relationships. You think you need better sex. You think you need more money. You need none of those things. What you need, what you're looking for, is the one that you were created for and his home. That's what it's all about. That's why there's this ache inside. That's why there's this desire for more. That's why you're seeking and that's why you're searching, even if you wouldn't call it that. Because you're homesick for heaven. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever just means forever. 
means eternally, unceasing. What, what, is this, what is this eternal life all about? It's a weird thing that Christians throw around, isn't it? Eternal life. What is that? Well, Jesus, in, in, in one of the most profound moments of his life when he's teaching, and he's talking, he's actually talking in John chapter 17 to the father about the kids. And he starts talking about eternal life and he says this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what it's about. It's about fully knowing God, fully getting God, fully embracing the person of God and understanding who you are. Isn't that cool? God has set a place for you. That's his plan. And, but, but, but more than that, the shepherd doesn't just secure my future and will try and land the plane here. He, he sets my culture. Check, check out the passage of scripture. Look, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. My cup overflows with goodness and mercy. I love this. David is, throughout the psalm, it's almost like he's learning. Every day is a school day, and he's, and he's growing in his understanding. This is really important. At the beginning of the psalm, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And that's a really cool perspective. If God is your shepherd, there is nothing that is good for you that you're going to lack. Isn't that a great perspective? If God is your shepherd, there is nothing that he thinks that you need that you are going to lack. You're not going to be left unabandoned. If he provokes it, he underwrites it. But as you go through the psalm, David grows in confidence about who he is and who God is and who the shepherd is. And then he says, my cup overflows. In the presence of my enemies, my cup over, overflows. And, and it goes from, it's not just that I lack nothing, now I have everything. Does that make sense? It's not just that I lack nothing good, now I have everything. The enough is cascading out of me. It's not just that I have enough, I have more than enough. The enough is flowing out of me and that flow renders me fearless. Now, now forgive me for a moment because I'm going to get a bit technical, but, but there is a journey here from security to speculation. From, from I've got enough, thank you very much, to I've got more than enough and I want to participate in what God is doing in this world. I've got, I've got enough, thank you very much, to I've, I've got so much, it's flowing out of me that I can't help but it cascading to everybody around me. Guys, we need to get our theology sorted. And if you, if you love Jesus, you need to listen to this. And if you don't love Jesus yet, you get to listen in to some of our dysfunctions. So let's, listen, listen to this. Here we go. We don't have a prosperity theology. By which I mean, come, come to Jesus, you don't just get victory and triumph and it's all nice and it's candy floss. We don't get to live in denial of pain and suffering. You're going to have some pain in your life and you're going to get some suffering. We have to go through the valley and we eat in the presence of the enemy. We all got enemies. We live in a broken world. You're going to experience grief and loss and sickness and relational breakup. If you haven't experienced it yet, you're going to get some of it in your life. So we don't have this prosperity spirit that says, it's all going to be great for us. Don't worry about it. Equally, listen, listen, we don't have a poverty theology either. Because my cup overflows. <laughs> it overflows in the presence. I have so much. 
I have abundant excess, more than you could ever ask or imagine. So much joy, so much security, so much peace, so much of God. No, no, we, we don't have a poverty spirit or a prosperity spirit. We have a different spirit. We have a kingdom spirit. We, we have a different perspective, a different way of thinking, even, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, oh it's coming. Even though I have enemies, you got some. I probably got more. <laughs> but you got some. My cup overflows. I'm going through the valley to the overflow. I'm going through the valley to the overflow. I'm walking through the valley to the overflow because <laughs> my shepherd is God. My shepherd is God. Look, check this out. Goodness and mercy. It follows me. I never noticed this before preparing this talk, and so it may be really dodgy theology, but stay with me. If it's good, it's original. If it's dodgy, I borrowed it from someone. It follows me. The word, the word follow actually means this, I think. Goodness and mercy pursues me, hounds me, chases me, follows me, overflows me, rugby tackles me, and knocks me to the ground. I think that's what it means. Goodness and mercy chases after me. That's what overflows me, goodness and mercy. It flows into me, through me, hounds my life, and flows from my life. Which means this, my friend, if you are kind, that's a good thing. Because kindness is, is like, I think, is chief amongst the qualities of the people of God. But you're not kind because you're working up kindness to people you don't really like. You're kind because you've been rubbing tackled with the flowing kindness of the shepherd. You have recognized the good, good shepherd. And you've submitted to the hounding goodness of the reckless love of the shepherd who's in the storm with you and through the storm for you. My friends, you're not generous because you decided to be generous and it was a good thing to be generous and you got a tax break because you were generous. You're radically generous with your life because you have been overcome by the radical generosity of God who gives to you, who loves you, who's graceful. It means he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. You don't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. He just knocks you to the ground with his generosity and you can't help but flow with it. And so you don't hold on to money for fear of not having enough but you invest with it in faith that he is always enough because you have experienced his enough. And you don't protect yourself from the emotion of relationships because you've been wounded in the past. But you open yourself because you know he's a good shepherd and he's got a rod and staff. And his rod and staff, they comfort you. Goodness and mercy, that's what's supposed to arrest you and flow from you. That's my culture. That's the culture of this house, the valley and the banquet. The valley and the banquet. I will not live in denial. Well, let's, let's knock that to the ground. We will not live in denial. Bad things happen to good people. Sometimes I think we overthink this stuff. Bad things happen to good people. We live in a broken and busted world. I will not live in denial, but I refuse to live in defeat. 
Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It will follow me all the days of my life. And even when it doesn't appear present, I will believe it is not absent. I will believe it is not absent. And so I will not fear. And you don't have to either. And you can set not just your future and your culture, but your posture. And you don't have to be afraid of death because he smashed it. And therefore you can be fearless. And you don't have to be afraid of humans because you're one. And he is above all things. And you can live fearless. And you don't have to be afraid of the future because he holds it. And you can live fearless. The Lord is my shepherd. You're going to be shepherded by something. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, here's the cool thing. About a thousand years after David wrote these words, Jesus shows up. And he takes that whole concept of the shepherd and he says, by the way, I'm not just God, I'm this kind of God. I'm the shepherd God. I'm the one who guides and leads and protects. I'm the one who holds the future. And he does this really cool thing. When he's talking about the shepherd, he says this, I am the good shepherd. And, and the word good, this is getting a bit technical, but stay with me because it's good. When, when, when he uses the word good, he doesn't use the usual word for good. When you use the word good in the, in the, in the Greek, what you would use is, is a word that means competent. You know, he could have said, I'm, I'm, I'm God and I'm the competent shepherd. I'm, I can get the job done for you. Because I'm God. I'm, I'm the shepherd who can guide you. No, he uses the word kalos. And the word kalos takes that word competence and adds to it the qualities of beauty and magnificent and praiseworthiness and love. That's good. I'm, I'm the good, loving, beautiful, magnificent shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep. And he comes and he holds out his hand. And he says, you don't have to fear. Because you can walk with me through this life beyond death into life. And he holds out his hand and he stretches out his hands and he dies so that we can live. And he invites you to make him the shepherd of your soul. It's a game changer. Let's pray. He dies that you might have peace in this world and hope for the future. He dies that you might have answers in this world and security in his future. And all he asks is you reach out a hand and put it in his and say yes. So way before we put any more music on or, or we get wet and do some baptisms and as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to invite you 
to invite the saviour of the world to be your shepherd. Maybe, maybe for the first time, you've never done this, it's a bit weird, showed up in church, didn't understand what was going on, but something spoke to you. That wasn't me, that was God. Or, or maybe it's for the 77th time because you started leading yourself. And if you'd like to do that, would you... This is weird, but just in in the quietness where no one's looking, you put your hand up and I'd love to pray for you. I'd love just to pray for you. Bless you. Bless you, yeah. I'd love to pray for you. That's great. Thank you so much. Keep your hand up. I'd like to see that. So Jesus, we just invite you, the shepherd of our souls, to come shepherd us. To come fight for us, to come welcome us, to come provide for us, to come save us. That we might walk and live in the house of the Lord forever. And we might be fearless in this world. I pray against fear binding us and leading us. And I pray, Holy Spirit of peace, you would come. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.